More than 35,000 people have been ordered to evacuate from their homes in Canada's British Columbia to escape rapidly spreading wildfires. Another 30,000 have been told to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Meanwhile, the city of Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories is all but a ghost town after around 19,000 of the city's 20,000 inhabitants were evacuated from the area. The World Health Organization says it's tracking a new, highly mutated version of COVID-19. Six cases in four countries have been detected since late July. Russia's Luna 25 spacecraft has suffered what's been described as a technical glitch. Russia's National Space Agency says the craft experienced what it described as an abnormal situation. It's scheduled to land on the moon tomorrow. The NZZ Amzontag newspaper is reporting that it's seen the Swiss government's new climate strategy, which the NZZ Amzontag exclusively says aims to restructure Switzerland's diet and agriculture. The federal government wants the population to eat less meat and for farmers to grow more plant-based food. And a tourist has been filmed climbing across the back of Rome's Trevi fountain in order to fill her water bottle. The woman successfully reached the centre of the 18th century landmark, filled her bottle before guards blew their whistle and removed her. Last year, a Saudi visitor drove his Maserati down the Spanish steps. And those are the headlines on Monaco Radio. It's time now to hand all of, what, two feet <laughs> to our editorial director, Tyler Frelia. He's looking resplendent and touched by the sun. A very good morning to you, Tyler. Thank good, you for inviting me Good morning, me back Emma. Well, well, welcome back around the table. And this is, this is a two, well, it's not a two-week run. It's a two-Sunday run, is it not? The Nelsons have decamped from London. We've decided that we can combine fun and work with that thing. I think we've talked about before on the radio about having an hour, two-hour-long two holiday. You can do a little bit of work, see your friends, then jump in the lake and have a wonderful time. And I can honestly say this is about as fun as it gets. Now, we don't want to make this a plug for Zurich Tourism, uh, but what was it off the back of the last trip when, you, when we were here, we were doing the same similar gig, that you decided to, uh, of course, rally the family and get them to come to uh, this side of the continent? Well, the beautiful sun and sweltering temperatures might have had something to do with it. The rather lovely lake might have had something to do with it. The rather efficient and well-put-together city might have had something to do with it. Good friends also had quite a lot to do with this as well. And also, it's pouring and depressing in London. Is it? Indeed. Okay, well, we'll we'll be talking to our Tom Edwards, uh, certainly in London, in a moment. Monocle on Sunday starts right now. And good morning again from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé. Coming up over the next, well, almost 60 minutes, uh, we have a fantastic lineup of guests. Juliet Lindley is here. Florian Egley is back. Uh, maybe, Juliet, we'll start with you. I mean, the story from the Trevi Fountain, awful story for a moment. Do you have any other Italian tales for us today? <laughs> I have a few Italian tales. Yes, I was just thinking, has anyone ever tried to drive their Ferrari into the Colosseum? Not yet. But that story of the Maserati last year going down the Spanish steps really made us giggle because you can kind of see it happening. You 
come out of the Hasser Hotel, which is this glamorous hotel. And if you're not quite sure where you're going, you could perhaps end up going down that way. Anyway, so no, I'm going to talk more about like, you know, the heat wave. It was like terrible, of course. I'm sorry, Emma, you were freezing there in London and we were just sweltering. And I found it interesting to see how some of the farmers are coping. And so I, I discovered that in Sicily, um, they have a curious way of coping with their olive oil picking, olive picking and their grape picking by picking at night instead of during the day. Very good. We're going to cool things down as well because we're going to get the latest news from Finland. Sweden is on a terror alert. Finnair's cabin crew gets signature sneakers and the weakening ruble sparks a cross-border shopping boom in eastern Estonia. I'm Petri Burtsov, Monocle's man in Helsinki. I'll be bringing you these and other news from the Nordics. And we're also going to stay in the Nordics as well. We're heading to Copenhagen to find out what readers are buying for, well, maybe it's the end of the summer break. It's the 20th of August, 2023, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. And good morning from a very sunny, lovely Zurich. We've not just laid it on for uh, Emma Nelson uh, this morning, hopefully uh, many others as well. Happy to say uh, the broadcaster, uh, former Vatican correspondent, also Monocle Quality of Life Conference host, hostess. Hostess, uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Well, it depends. Well, depends on what time of day it's going to be. But anyway, dolly. Uh, this is going to be uh, our big event uh, on September uh, 1st as well. We'll talk a little bit about that in, in the moment. Also, Florian uh, Egli is here from uh, a, a very, uh, I would say, esteemed uh, think tank as well. I'm not, I, we were talking before the program. There's also a change of gig, a change of city coming up as well. Is it still going to be four hours? That's where you are at the moment. But it's, uh, let's see, it's probably not going to be for us anymore. It's going to be another city. It's close to here. Uh, maybe another Monocle studio opening up. Uh, Could be. Very <laughs> well. We'll be discussing that more. Also, Emma Nelson, as I said, normally, I don't know, what's what's the distance between uh, London and Zurich? 900, 900 kilometers, 1,000 kilometers? 1 I don't hour know. 15 between wheels up and touchdown. Exactly. Anyway, you are here today. Great uh, to have you uh, standing by as well. Of course, uh, news, not throughout the program, news in the bottom of the hour as well. But we're just talking um, at the start, uh, before we launched into this program off the back, of you doing the news just now, uh, coming back uh, to, to Zurich as well, uh, versus, of course, yeah, what has been sort of a, a summer in London. We're always comparing notes, uh, weather every Sunday morning. It's easy um, to see it through the eyes of my 11-year-old son who got off a plane yesterday and within 15 seconds said, I really like Zurich. From the way that they lay it out at the airport, even from the little, you know, the little Heidi tape that they play every time when you go on the shuttle, uh, when you're going to go and pick up your bags. And every time it always sort of gives, raises a little smile to just zipping into town on the S16 and being in the middle of town, just just watching someone see it from the first for the first time, a child thinking, thinking, actually, this place is gorgeous and it works. And, you know, the place where you're staying is nicely laid out. Everybody's there for you. And then you can go for a walk at midnight down to the lake and it's a gentle feeling and people are having a nice time it's a place that immediately feels welcoming and it's also super hot so we're going to be throwing ourselves in the lake later very good uh, also i said to you yesterday there was sort of a, a news flash because uh, the toy swiss uh, which are the the acrobatic team of the swiss air force roared overhead not just once but twice yesterday as well so that that is also a possibility uh, for your young son later today well you're going to put there, him in a plane well i'm not going to put him in a plane <laughs> but actually maybe florian you can jump in on this the, <laughs> of course this is off the back this week there was uh, some some big announcements uh, of course around the swiss uh, well swiss uh, 
forces. There was a, there's a rebranding that's being rolled out um, as well. So that, that's one thing that's happened. Uh, of course, uh, a pledge of 1% uh, of GDP uh, also committed uh, to this as well. Uh, and there's this interesting sort of cyber recruiting event out by Cloton today as well. So to maybe get uh, future programmers and coders as well. I don't know if your son's going to look for a citizenship or, or, or not, uh, but and whether this might even be of appeal. We're working on it. But what's quite funny is actually if you look at the news today in the United Kingdom, it's saying that... Um, Britain now has fewer tanks than Switzerland and it makes that enormous comparison about how it's now the UK is now 57th globally for its tank stockpile um, and it, it sort of stresses the fact that Switzerland has not engaged in, con- in active combat for a very very long time and yet it seems to have its act together and its level of readiness so much more than, than anyone else. You're not. You're nodding your head over I, I, there. You're, yeah, you're the not fully convinced. I think this is a story that every country kind of keeps drumming on. You know, in, in Europe. But the, so the, Swiss, the Swiss component the, of the story. Yeah, but the news yeah. in Switzerland are like, oh, you know, our forces are really not ready at all. And the, the head of the army said publicly that you know within two weeks it would be over if there were any conflict, um, just because the logistics are not good enough. Um, and so I, I think it's kind of like everybody is, is, is trying to grapple with the fact that, in fact, these militaries are not ready. Um, and, and it's a decision of whether we want to make them ready again. Switzerland has increased its defense budgets massively. Um, it's not going to make them ready, um, but it's, it's, it's enough for a rebranding. Also, there are the Swiss innovation forces now um, they're, they're hiring. Um, so there's, I think this is part of this, this, okay, c- this cyber funfair that they're having out okay. of Portland <laughs> as well. I'm not sure much and of so a that fun. That might be something for, for your boy, am I? Let's see. Oh, I <laughs> Future career choice. Let's see. Uh, our Tom Edwards, our head of radio, is standing by back in London. Tom, are you uh, tank counting this morning? Uh, yes, Tyler. Uh, 217, it's not very many, is it? And actually, there was a story from just, I think, like, a couple of weeks ago that uh, Britain uh, ended up decommissioning a whole load of Challenger tanks, and that cost £4 million. So we could have given them to Ukraine. We could have maybe just kept them. Um, but yeah, uh, always interested in a bit of tank counting. Indeed. Tom, if we were looking at the the morning papers, though, uh, aside from maybe a tank deficit in the UK, uh, what is making headlines um, in uh, in the British press today? Well, I have to say, Tyler, um, it, it, it's pretty football centric. And this is not just my biases, although, you know, you do. I do love a, a football story, especially on a Sunday morning, um, because the Women's World Cup final is taking place in just less than two hours uh, down in, in Australia. So the British press um they never need that much of an opportunity to really go full parochial um so there's lots of lionessery uh in, in, sort of knocking around the, the papers that is pretty dominant but there's a few interesting stories apparently we're around a year into the carolian age i don't know what your assembled guests um tyler there in zurich made of, have made of king charles iii thus far uh, the kind of status reports in the british papers at least are a mixed bag but i think it's, be- it's better than many of us were it uh, were expecting um, but yeah, lots of uh, lots of football. I've been trying desperately to find something as ridiculous as that Trevi Fountain story. I'll keep I'll keep browsing and leafing through the pages in front of me, and I'll I'll report back if I can find anything that marries up on the on the lunacy f- scale with that one. Uh, Tom, how much of Spain bashing is there uh, as we approach this final? Because over the last few weeks, there's there's certainly been a number of stories, maybe not uh, in, uh, in in the broadsheets, may, maybe as well, which which has to do, of course, with the Spanish going to war with the British uh, again. It's the, it's the usual story this time of year, uh, putting up signs that there are jellyfish on beaches just to keep Brits off the beach. Uh, uh, you know, various types of curbs on lounger, sun lounger issues as well. Um, anything like that in the papers? 
Do, do you know what, Tyler? They've, they've largely uh, avoided that. I've been surprised. I mean, I, I was criticising the papers for their parochialism, but there's not been too much jingoism, and it's generally fairly friendly. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon, I think, surrounding the, the women's game. There's this sort of strange collective buy-in where everybody starts to be much <laughs> much nicer to each other and they seem to reserve that particular ire uh the the seasonal joshing more for the for the men's game i, I think the really interesting point if we're more serious about the women's world cup it's just been how successful it's been in terms of engagement and it's interesting obviously it's happened in australia and new zealand and the aussies were amongst the many nations tyler which you'll know to sort of be kicking the commonwealth games out and around uh, against this backdrop that you know these big showpiece sporting uh, uh, events as good as they are for, you know, wielding some soft power, they're too expensive and the public don't like them. And yet, at the very same time that that Commonwealth Games wrangle's been uh, broiling on, uh, this hugely successful World Cup has has happened. And I think, you know, there is an interesting conversation. And again, the papers are uh, are talking a little bit about this uh, today around the obvious benefit of what sport brings. And I know, jumping ahead, you know, when we're in Munich in a couple of weeks' time, we'll talk a bit about what sport means, what a sports franchise means for a great city. And I do think that that is an interesting narrative. Hopefully, if if England do, do win in a couple of hours' time, um, amongst all of the flag-waving, because then it will really dub, uh, d- double down, I'm sure, in the papers, um, there might be some interesting uh, exploration of why it is worth spending money on, on sport and, and that particular exercise of soft power. Tom, I want to bring back in just another franchise you mentioned a moment ago, and that, of course, is the, the well, the royal franchise. Has the has the UK sent any royals down? Because uh, Spain have sent uh, Queen Letizia, so I, I think they fired up one of their government airbuses or Gulf Streams or whatever they have, and they they they, they hustled uh, Queen Letizia down. Uh, who's representing uh, the UK from the royal side? Well, so far, I saw a, a message from uh, Prince William, who obviously he is the uh, president of the of the football association. So he's done a video message with his daughter uh, included, um, and he's apologised uh, for not attending. So he's not going. He's the obvious. He's the obvious kind of go to. Um, I, I don't know if they're actually trying to quickly wrangle and see if somewhere else is going to. Um, they better, they, I, they better hurry. Concord is gone, so they're not, not going to have much luck. Left it too. <laughs> like left. It you know, they, bit, Tom, just because they, you know, Julie, there, Juliet's our unofficial royal correspondent Absolutely. as well. She, she wanted, she wanted to jump in. No. Aside from being former Vatican correspondent, you've just been yeah. dying to pitch in on this one. No, I mean there was talk that oh, William wasn't going to interrupt his holidays with his family to do it. So on the one hand, as a mum, you think, oh, good, you know, the father's not running off from the family holiday. Great. However, really, you're in the final. It's England. Queen Letizia's going. I think she's taking a daughter, one of her two daughters with her, the crown princess possibly. And then William sends a video message. Sweet, but no, doesn't cut it. Does it? Short. Okay, from a diplomacy point of view and brand point of view as well. Spain versus uh, versus England. Uh, what do you say to that? Not, yeah, also not, not good enough. But interestingly, one of the stories in the Swiss newspaper is about our foreign finance minister. I'm kind of in the midst of when the turmoil around the, the you know, the, the collapse of Credit Suisse started. That was, you know, um, late last year when he was still in office, just going out. He went off to see the Swiss play at the World um, Cup in Qatar um, instead of actually, you know, getting on with the business or, um, with Credit Suisse. And now he's facing a lot of criticism for that. So, I mean, there might be good excuses, but um, um, in diplomacy branding point of view, not very good. I'm quite surprised that 
the United Kingdom didn't see that this was going to happen because England won the European Championships last year and so and they are an extremely strong team and national pride is enormous when it comes to football it is absolutely stitched into British culture so I'm compl- I, I was sort of sort of slightly deflated when I saw that people are sending messages I mean I can understand why the king's not going because it's a bit of a way but Rishi Sunak could go or he could send somebody but then I wonder who would you send Mm. apart from William I send Meghan honestly right (laughs) (laughs) all eyes would be on her exactly we wouldn't see a ball being kicked at all we're just looking at her you do wonder who are our soft power characters now Mm. William can't do it who have we got up our sleeve who's back up Indeed. Sophie. Tom. So just, but is, is this a discussion, again, from a, a brand perspective, probably at a time when it, not just many uh, in, in England uh, would be looking for someone to step up and just to step up on, on the part of the nation in general, football uh, or no football? Uh, is it, and, and let, let's, let's, well, I would say let's hope that uh, England wins uh, in the coming hours. Uh, it'll look rather odd, isn't it, if there's, if there's not sort of someone uh, out there to maybe do a, a little uh, spin around the pitch uh, with the winners? Yeah, I think it's it's a really it's a bizarre oversight. And as far as I can tell, Tyler, I've been doing some further digging. Uh, the highest profile British official is going to be one Lucy Fraser. Pop quiz to anyone there? Do you know? Who? Do you know who that is? No. Lucy Fraser. No, no, no well, takers. Well, well, we also have a live audience she's here. Everyone, everyone is looking a bit dumbfounded this morning, Tom. So. She's this- She's the Secretary of State, to be fair, for culture, uh, media and sport. But that's, yeah, I think that's it. We've definitely, that, it's, an, it's an own goal to use some sporting parlance. And I think the point is, Tyler, this is something we've talked about before, I think, on this programme and across Monocle. Britain needs to be more astute at flexing its soft power muscles. We know about our creative industry. We know about lots of the good things we can still do, despite the bad smell around Brexit and all the rest of it. Why do we miss an absolute gimme to get out into the world, do something with a bit of elan, a bit of style, a bit of humour, a bit of levity, uh, show that we're engaged. And instead, you, I mean, you're right, If you, the tone in the papers is pretty negative on uh, Rishi, uh, on the King, Prince William, all these other stakeholders for not going. It's, it's just funny that there isn't more engagement, just some savvy. I think better brands would understand that this is a moment to broadcast some positive messages. Uh, maybe sell the story of okay admittedly is it england only but st- sell a bit of the story of of brown britain it's, it's a real own goal and i find it funny in a moment where we've never needed to be doing better um that we've missed an obvious opportunity julian and tom i'm just wondering uh on the negative side of of pr what often comes with uh, uh when england is playing football are the hooligans or the fans and i'm just curious in the english papers who are the fans that are there for england is there any uh, concern about it or is the fact that it's actually women's football does that bring the testosterone down completely and therefore make for a great symbolic show of how fans can actually be rather civilized coming from england well, absolutely. You'll recall, uh, Juliet, we chatted a, a, earlier in the week, actually, in a, in a different context. We were talking about always being cool and staying calm. And what is wonderful to see is there is a totally different mindset. I think on the field you see it, but you definitely see it in the stands. This is, it was demonstrable. Emma mentioned the European success. And, you know, everyone who goes, it's much more collegial it's friendly there's good nature joshing the fans are all sat together there really has been no animus and actually 
we haven't seen uh, in the fan zones, you know, where people gather to watch, uh, just in the streets. You just don't see any of that those scenes. I know exactly what you're alluding to. I'm thinking of, you know, uh, beetroot red, oversized gentleman in kind of Union Jack shorts, hurling white plastic <laughs> oh, <that> furniture <laughs> around the streets. You know, you know where I, you know that, you know, you know what, what that I looks mean. like. But but you just don't see it. And what you do see, you see dads and daughters and mums and sons and mums and mums and dads and dads and they're arm in arm and they're singing and it's it's like some sort of alternate reality of how these things could could go so i i hope that that is uh what we see again in the final i'm sure i'm sure we we will and it just goes to show that you you can um eliminate some of the, uh, the, the the negative optics and some of the, let's be fair, some of the negative individuals. Um, again, if you seize a bit of control of, of the narrative, and it is funny how, as a nation, maybe we've not quite nailed that side of it, but I think in terms of the sport, in terms of the organisation of the event, and, and I will grudgingly uh, doff my cap to my cork-hatted colleagues uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, they've put on a very good show. It's funny how they've just tweaked the vocabulary a tiny, tiny bit that it's no longer women's football. It's not referred to as women's football. It is just now football. And once you do that, you can enact an enormous amount of but very simple but very powerful change. That said, Julia, you and I were talking before we went on air about where our sons were going to watch the, the World Cup. Yep. Nothing happening in the Lindley household tonight. No. <laughs> no. Everyone's down at the lake, it? everyone's on the boat. Everyone's down at the lake, on the boat. Um, yeah, I have to confess, whereas in the Nelson household, you're all gearing up for it. Not well, the boat. Nelson household's actually in Switzerland today, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, They're gearing up for it, I mean, to watch it this afternoon. And maybe, maybe not. Depends. Depends. Depends what happens with I that. With, with, with that air show. <laughs> Ty, Talk, did you watch ladies football? I'm driving, um, but I'll, we'll we'll be we'll be listening. That's we'll be awesome. tuning in. No, we I did we wa we watched uh, Japan. Was it Japan? No, no, we watched Japan Norway the other day. Um, so that was and that was that was exciting. You sound thrilled. Well, uh, we're going to we're going to uh, to move on to, to other other stories very swiftly. Tom, we're going to come back to you in London uh, in in a moment. Juliet, let's go back. Do you want to go back to Rome, um, or or where where do you want to start with what? what Did you, you like my story about the nighttime? Olive Tell us picking? about night about Tom. Are you excited or Tom? Tom let, let, you let's tr be. let's let's quiz Tom. Tom, nocturnal. What are they called? Nocturnal nocturnal olives. Nocturnal olive oil. Nocturnal olive oil. oil. Have you sampled any, Tom? I haven't yet, but I definitely would be interested. I, I'm increasingly. I've recently taken ownership of a Bengal cat, Tyler. Just as a as a, as an aside. Um, so, but and, and it's, in terms of nocturnal Tom, activity, this, what does this have to do with anything? You're thinking nocturnal well, no, oil for like a, a, silk, a silky a silky coat on the Bengal cat? Okay, I'll go, go for it. Tell this. us. Okay, possibly. Well, because it's very nocturnally active, and so it's got me thinking. As I'm having to kind of supervise him on his nocturnal hunting pursuits, oh, I've got some time. I've got more time, maybe, at my disposal. What could I use these uh, moonlit hours for? And I could be doing some heavy duty of olive pressing, plainly. See, that's where I was going with it. There okay. you go, Tom. You're hired. Tom, I need, I need, I need <laughs> to rewind though, because you, oftentimes cat stories do come up. I'm not sure if, you, if your family you were ever cat owners, but I do recall that you had some. I, I believe they were Portuguese. Or they were Brazilian friends uh, who also oh, had a rather large cat. Oh, this is your favourite story, isn't it, Tyler? Becca, the Bra Brazilian by by via Cheltenham cat, oversized cat. Yeah, and uh, my friend as well, both. Uh, he was, uh, well, I think he was, yeah, maybe he was kind of a Bengali Brazilian. He was oversized. That's what you need to know. And he had a fondness for sweet treats, but non-cat associated ones. He ate a lot of cake. And uh, I always remember my friend, 
my dear friend Eddie, his mum, his wonderful mum, uh, always having to admonish Becca uh, when he would do things like sort of get in through a window and try and eat chips or cake. And she would say, and I, forgive <laughs> but, my, but in, my but in their own house or other households. She would say, oh, he, he, was, he was the scourge of the whole neighbourhood in Cheltenham, Tyler. But she would always say, no more chips for you, Becker. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely accent. Tom, is that Sao Paulo, that accent? Is it Paulistan or is it from Belo Horizonte or...? Well, no, she was a, a, karaoke, a proudly karaoke, Tyler. So okay. from, 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 from Rio, I think, Ipanema, yeah. Excellent. Okay, so Tom, we'll go back to the olive oil. You've not heard about it, Juliet, over to you. Tell, okay. us, tell us all about nocturnal olive oil. Well, apparently to do this with grapes, too. So when, the, when you have extremely hot temperatures, which is what Italy and especially the south of Italy is seeing currently, what happens is that the olives swell during the day and usually pick them during the day. And if you pick a swollen olive, the skin gets so thin that it could start fermenting by the time you even get to the olive mill, what do you call a frantoio, olive oil mill, where they start crushing them. So if you pick them at night, they're smaller because they're not swollen. They won't ferment. You, um, since, since workers now in Italy during the hot months have to take a pause, you're having to pay them anyway. So bring them in at night, pay them a bit of an extra. And then you get to the mill early in the morning and there's no one there because usually in the evening there's a glut. Everyone's arriving with their olives ready to throw them into the thing that starts pressing them. So there you go. So um, apparently it tastes even better. Haven't tasted it yet. And apparently the wine also tastes better, but we haven't tried that because they also do nighttime grape picking. Okay, so that's one for Chandra. Like it's a we, market we, we We'll get, bring in Chandra next. We can get Chandra Kurt on the program next week. Desi, let's see if it's, if it's a poss possibility. <laughs> Florian, are you buying this? I, I mean, I, yes. I would like to try it, but I mean, also try it practically because we, we're producing wine now, like at 20 minutes out of Zurich, we have like a literally like small patch of... Um, Who you do. You, yes, you do. My great grandfather was a winemaker. No. So no. now we're doing this and that, that actually is, I mean, a heat wave here now too, right? So we might do this at night and it's a, it's a lovely opportunity to buy the lake, a little party, a little like just great Just get some picking. TV lights to light up the street. <laughs> the, the we have vineyards. them here, we just take them yeah, I mean, Emma, you're, you, you're in the news oh, business, you're yes. used to late shifts. Yes. Are, are we moving on to or moving towards a new 24-hour-a-day economy because of a warming planet? Uh, and, and maybe also with no bonuses, if you work into the late hours, you, you, know, you don't get a late shift uh, yeah, uptick uh, in terms of your fee because this is just part of what's going to be a new world. I just want to know how we're going to pick olives in the middle of the night in the dark. And no one's asked that question. I mean, do you headlamps, you headlamps. Yeah, so you, so you, yeah. We're going to strap yeah, yeah, a torch course, to yeah. our heads. For sure. Yes. For and sure. then off we go. Into sure. the, so we have a couple of glasses of wine from picked in the middle of the night, I'm assuming, beforehand. And then night we wine. head yeah. off down to the, to the olive grove yeah. on the slope yeah. in the dark. That sounds perfectly safe and reasonable Life to me. Life in the 21st Florian, let's try it. Yeah, we'll You're try on it. Your we'll, do a, we'll do a first week of October. We'll do a nice, okay. a nice pick. Emma's coming back. Oh, yes. Has this harvesting <laughs> happened? You just came back from Tuscany. Has no, it hasn't started yet in Tuscany. So, but I think Florian, there's time for you as well. Yeah, we can do it here. It's just a bit later because it's a bit cooler, but it's okay. Well, we can go down to the lake. Because it sounds like the family patch is what would be done in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, less than that. How many liters are you producing for? <laughs> Tom, Tom, just uh, just before we, as we ticked, you you, uh, you just uh, did a little bit of a, a foreshadow moment for us a, a second ago regarding our Quality of Life conference, thirty uh, first of August. Uh, anything you're looking forward to? Any any highlights? Uh, of course, it's it as ever. It is a conversation about cities, about urbanism. Uh, of course, what makes uh, cities big and small uh, succeed, uh, flourish, um, stall uh, as as well? Uh, when you look at the lineup, what are you looking forward to this year? 
Uh, well, I, I, a, a quick declaration of interest. I don't know if you recall, I think it was in Athens, Tyler. I had the pleasure of speaking to one of your pals, uh, Philip Schucht, and we t- spoke about uh, having a healthier brain, how to look after your brain. Um, and this year, we're going in a slightly different direction, a different organ, if you will. Uh, and we're going to be talking at one point about healthy cities and healthy hearts for city occupants. But we're also having one particular panel, which Juliet might be able to tell you a bit more about, uh, with another one of your medical uh, pals, Tyler, uh, looking at how you uh, get a, a healthy heart and how you ensure that, you know, as the years tick by, uh, you're maximising your opportunities to live long and uh, live well. Um, an amazing speaker, uh, blessed with a plethora of extraordinary facts. And I don't want to give too many of them away, but one he did mention when we, he and I and, and Juliet had a quick powwow uh, last week, Tyler, was about emojis. And it's the heart emoji, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, one for your panel or for the assembled guests there at D90. How many heart emojis are sent in the world every day? Okay, this is... Um, should, we, should we maybe get, <laughs> get number, number, like, n- numbers entered on a postcard and, and end of program? We're going to wait in on this one right, right now. But is this, is this all just because, just because oh. Frank is, a, is, a, is the head of cardiology at the, at the university, at the Unispital here in Zurich, is that also uh, part of his beat as well? Or this is just what these things he's going well, to be discussing on stage? Yeah, I don't know how many he's going to send. It's five, five point five billion. Can you per believe day. that? That's a lot, per isn't day. it? Per day. How many, how many kidney emojis do you think are sent, <laughs> or liver emojis, <laughs> pancreas emojis? Right, Tom. That was that we decided that was somewhat fewer, Juliet. That was the view, wasn't it? <laughs> now, is this going to be is this going to be a, a double act? Uh, with, we should say also the gentleman we're talking about is, is Dr. Frank Rashitska, um, who, who you're you're both interviewing. I think it's just just, just you. It's a 15-minute okay. uh, quick Q&A, maybe, facts and figures, true or false. How many kilometers do you need to run every day to keep your heart healthy, Tyler? Those kind of things. Like, of course. Should you or should you not be drinking five gin and tonics a day? Maybe it's good for you. Or maybe <laughs> well, we'll find it. We'll find out. Yeah, can't wait to find out. And I think, well, I think what's good is I think Dr. Rich, he's going to have a lot of pragmatic very, very pragmatic very. Uh, information uh, for for all for our, our assembled group, Tom. Just, uh, I mean, certainly for the people who are sitting here in Zurich today, you are sort of this sort of disembodied voice because you, you're not alongside. You're going to be also a sort of slightly disembodied voice from from the crowd. I think Emma Nelson will as well because you've not seen this setup at Allianz's headquarters in in Munich, but it, it it's it's almost going back to football. You have a proper announcers booth, um, you know, right. it, behind the 200 gathered gathered guests. So this is going to be your role. I guess alongside Emma's as well. Oh, absolutely, Tyler. I'm going to be the I'm at the hype man. Uh, interestingly, I have a one of my many namesakes being called Tom Edwards. There are quite a few of us knocking around. Uh, was for many years the announcer at the Chicago Bulls uh, in the US, um, and so I have borrowed some learnings from him. So I'll be I'll be hyping up uh, the crowd. I should also mention, though, Tyler. Of course, we're going to be doing lots of live broadcasts. So plenty of Monocle Radio uh, throughout the day. Our programs coming from uh, Munich, from different venues. We're going to be broadcasting. Uh, at Schumann's Storied Institution on the on the Thursday night. So uh, people who are joining us 
in Bavaria uh, in a, what just less than a couple of weeks' time. Um, there'll be lots of opportunities for them to watch, maybe participate in the shows. It's going to be very interactive. Uh, and yeah, and then Emma and I will also be helping to uh, make sure everyone's behaving themselves on the day, giving them their one-minute warnings, uh, Tyler, uh, talking in when you're going to presumably be kicking off proceedings, etc. So very exciting, very multimedia. Um, if people, I think there are still just a couple of tickets left. Still not too late for people wherever in the world they are uh, to get involved, get a ticket and join us in Munich. It's going to be terrific. Indeed, I just had someone from Austria just drop me a note as well. Uh, not just for Austrians, anyone else can also come along uh, as well. And uh, you can get in touch with Monocle via our website or in the spirit of customer service, you can write directly to Hannah Grundy, hg at monocle.com, and she will sort you out with a ticket. Tom, you talked about uh, giving cues and, and prompting people. I am now uh, two minutes and 24 or five seconds late, handing over to M&L Smith News. Tom, have a very good weekend. Go look for some later hosen. You're going to need them. Uh, but don't, maybe don't buy them in the UK, actually. Wait till you get to Munich to buy those. M&L Smith here with the news. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. More than 35,000 people have been ordered to evacuate from their homes in Canada's British Columbia to escape rapidly spreading wildfires. Meanwhile, the city of Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories is all but a ghost town after around 19,000 of the city's 20,000 inhabitants were evacuated from the area. The World Health Organization says it's tracking a new highly mutated lineage of the COVID-19 virus. Six cases in four countries have been detected since late July. Russia's Luna 25 spacecraft has suffered what it's been described as a technical glitch. The National Space Agency said the craft experienced what it says is an abnormal situation. The NZZ am Sonntag is reporting that it's seen the Swiss government's new climate strategy in which it wants the population to eat less meat in the future and farmers to grow more plant-based food. And a former farmer who's moved into a fifth-floor apartment in an urban development in China has been ordered to move the herd of cows he's installed on the balcony. Neighbours complained about the smell and the noise caused by the seven calves being housed in the apartment in Sichuan province. The property management staff have been locked in a battle of wills with the owner of the cows who keeps trying to sneak them back into the flat. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler. Thanks very much. And any pictures of that, Emma? Uh, yes, there, there are. are. I will get them out for you. I'm just wondering how you get saddened calves back into the fifth floor of the flat. I mean, you're talking about healthy cities, healthy hearts. I mean, mm. trying to carry a calf up five flights of stairs is it's going to keep your heart in one piece, isn't it? Absolutely. I don't think you have to go that far east to see that uh, as, <laughs> as, as, as well, though. I was talking. You- I know I was talking to an ambassador, uh, well, a Turkish ambassador, who was talking about one of his neighbouring countries uh, to uh, to the west. We won't have to, we, we won't name names, uh, but he was saying because they were rehousing lots of Roma families, etc. He said the same thing happened that they were building a lot of tower blocks. Of course, moving people off their land and all kinds of balconies, you know, horses, goats. Uh, so yeah, so again, people talk about the advent and, and so the rise of vertical farming is already happening in, I said the <laughs> in Bulgaria. Anyway, uh, we, will, we will leave there. Uh, just Florian, I just want to go back on this, uh, this policy note that the, uh, that the NZZ have said they've, they've seen this uh, climate um, uh, initiative, uh, well, more, I guess, and, and more policy indeed. Um, what, what do you think about this when you, when you hear that there are directives you know, where, and, and you can see something is going to become very explosive when you, when you start telling people, not just the consumer, but also when you think about uh, the power of uh, the, the farming franchise in this country as well, not to eat meat, grow more vegetables, you know, rethink uh, you know, all, all aspects uh, of, of, of the food chain, uh, necessary or a bit too nannying? 
I, the, the, I think the explosive part already happened uh, probably one or two months ago when this uh, first report was published. And it's actually a report from a citizens' council. So um, what was done was they put together a citizens' council of, I think, 100 people that are kind of representative of the population of Switzerland and then let them go through like how they would design our food system kind of for 2030, 2040, 2050 um, in order, you know, to have a healthy diet and, you know, be compatible with, um, um, you know, I mean, limit pollution and be compatible with uh with limiting emissions as well um so i mean it's it's tough because it, it gets really into the into the, into our preferences right so um i think i mean my, my my take on this is that there is really part of the onus is also really with companies and with supermarkets that i mean there are a lot of alternatives to meat and they're usually much more expensive so if you buy like oat milk it's crazy how, how much it costs right so i think there is really kind of a whole branding and pricing thing that should happen as well perhaps even rather than you know directing how much should be should be produced in what way um and I, i'm not seeing much of that which is kind of disappointing um if you look at what you know the actual cost of producing milk versus as oat milk is and it's just not reflected at all in the supermarkets when did when was the last time that the uh, that the the Lindley uh, Vinci family sat down and thought about food policy over the next decade no we every evening but I mean speaking of <laughs> vegan milks I bought a potato milk that I'd heard about mm. It was vile. It was so bad. I still have the. If anyone wants to have a tasting, forget nocturnal olive oil. I have a potato milk tasting. Is it not not good for but, the matcha latte? Um, not good for the matcha lattes. <laughs> but but most importantly, as you were saying, first of all, yes, they they do cost so much more. And I've heard that I was reading that there's been a huge downturn in the in the um, consumption of all these vegan chicken, vegan burgers, vegan everything because of the cost. And I think everyone's just a bit tired of this whole let's save the planet. When there are so many bigger things that you need to change. But. And there is that insistence that we all have something that looks and tastes like meat, which I haven't quite worked out yet. That if you want, to, if you're going to cook without meat, then just don't do the meat. Yeah, just don't, leave don't it as spinach and, yeah. and not turn it into. I always say, like, why are you trying to turn everything into chicken? Yeah. When let's just have chicken. Yeah. Do you want, you want to grill something? Then go grill some halloumi then. Exactly. No, but the, uh, but can I say that there are some vegan burgers that do have that consistency of meat that you sometimes crave. And so if it's done really well, why not? There's no happy cow that's had to be killed. Okay. Having, I mean, halloumi does taste very different to a regular burger. So sometimes it's nice to try an empty. Well, first, we know that not all cows are happy. Switzerland why aside, Why should you just course, eat the happy ones? Well, that's so unfair, too. That's also, that's also deep. I think they're past caring at a certain point. <laughs> I think it could be. Um, someone who is not past caring, though, uh, we're going to head uh, to the far side uh, of the Baltic right now. Uh, our correspondent uh, in Helsinki, uh, Petri Prostov, is there for us uh, this morning. Uh, Petri, good morning. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, tell us, uh, it's been a very, I mean, well, it's always a busy news week uh, in, in the Nordic uh, world. Uh, you've, uh, you've got uh, a series uh, of, of stories that I've seen in your dispatch uh, this morning. Uh, where, do you, where do you want to start with us? Uh, if I was picking up uh, the Helsingin Sonomat, if I was listening uh, to Sveriges Radio this morning, uh, what, what, what are people talking about? So the first uh, first story uh, on uh, both of those media outlets actually would most likely be uh, Sweden's uh, terror level alert 
which has been raised to uh, uh, the second highest on a five-point scale following, uh, of course, we've seen the headlines following outrage in the Muslim community and in particular among extreme Islamists uh, as a result of, of uh, various activists uh, in, in Sweden and Stockholm in particular burning Islam's holy book, uh, the, the Quran. And as a result, the authorities have uh, have decided based on intelligence information to uh, to uh, raise the uh, terror alert level. This is, of course, main news in, in Sweden, but the take in Finland is slightly different. I also had a look at the Aftenposten, uh, Norway's main newspaper, and both sort of Finland and Norway, neighbors of Sweden and long, long running rivalry with uh, Sweden, both of those countries. So, so the stories are kind of like, um, you know, is it still safe to, as a tourist, to travel to Sweden? And, you know, there is a little bit of this uh, uh, sort of uh, schadenfreude in, 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 in all of this. Uh, Finns, uh, you know, of course, having chosen a very different path when it comes to uh, freedom of uh, expression in uh, Sweden, sort of adhering to the very very liberal view that you can pretty much say and do anything whereas finland has this finland has this law in place which basically guarantees uh, sort of religious uh, sensitivities so you know you can't uh, in the name of freedom of expression you cannot sort of infringe on people's religious sensitivities so you know in finland it would be actually illegal to burn the quran so it's interesting to compare very similar to uh, nordic countries yet completely different policies when it when it comes to this issue and just, uh, of course, uh, you know, speaking to to Swedes, uh, both inside and outside the country, there is a lot of, of, of head scratching on one side that there is, of course, this announcement uh, that that it's happening. Uh, so you, know, you could say from a, a security point of view, um, maybe it's not so you know bright, uh, because of course, there has to be an application that goes around all of this. But there's so much hype around it that, of course, uh, you know, this certainly makes, uh, you know, a blood pressure and, and tempers flare and and of course, on, on on, on both sides, uh, not to mention you know, people who are, of course, completely outside of all of this um, as well. So, again, uh, you know, not to be the Finn looking uh, from Helsinki you know, towards Stockholm, um, but is there also an element of, of head scratching, not just, oh, should I go on holiday because the terror alert is, is, has been raised to level four, but also just, uh, you know, given of course, everything uh, that's surrounded NATO membership, uh, not to mention just the daily security concerns as well, uh, that maybe there should be a moment of actually dialing this down for freedom of speech or not. Yes, absolutely. And let's let's bear in mind that Denmark, actually, which another Nordic country, which uh, Sweden also looks looks at, uh, has already introduced legislation that makes it more difficult to do acts acts like this. And and we know that Sweden is also also looking into it. But it's a very tough issue, um, of course, politically for let's let's remember that Sweden has a right wing government uh, uh, with the uh, far right Swedish uh, Democrats, not in the government, but in uh, cooperation agreement with the government. So, you know, they don't want to seem as 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 a political force that's bowing to the pressure from uh, countries such as uh, Turkey or other Muslim Muslim communities communities. So it's 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 a tough line to 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 thread in a in a in a in a, in a way to uh, to sort of uh, think about how to uh, rein all of these uh, activities in. And just uh, finally, is this just a, a a hygiene measure in terms of awareness, raising the threat level to to four? Uh, because oftentimes that 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 you know it, it's there is a you would say a PR component to it, uh, but does this also uh, go hand in hand with uh, yeah more security forces on the street um, in Sweden? What has the government said around this, Petri? Well, it's it said that it, exactly as you said, uh, it gives the authorities more powers. Uh, 
to to intervene and i suppose it also gives uh sort of the signals intelligence people more more powers but i mean the interesting thing is they raised the terror level but then they explicitly pointed out that there is no sign of an imminent attack so you know i don't know i mean if i you know if i was running the swedish government i would of course you know, think that, hey, what kind of an effect does this have on the people, you know, if, if the terror alert level is raised, of course, people are going to think that, hey, um, is there going to be an attack? But then also pointing out that, hey, there's not going to be an attack. We don't have any sign of that. So it's kind of mixed mixed messages here. Petri, let's head across the, the Gulf of Botnia uh, to, to Estonia. Uh, and, and it's also, it is a crossing border story uh, as well, which is which is quite a curious one. And maybe maybe has a bit of a back to school component to it as well. Yeah, so this is this is really interesting. Um, so of course, the border town of Narva in eastern Estonia is right on the on the Russian border. Uh, so uh, there's a news, there's an article here on the Estonian public broadcaster ERR's website that uh, uh, the weakening ruble sparks a cross-border shopping boom in Estonia and in Narva in particular. So the residents of this border town have started to flock to uh, the uh, corresponding town on the Russian side, I believe it's called Ivangorod, uh, to uh, to buy all kinds of things because, of course, Euro is very strong against the, the ruble and, and the ERR has, has uh, gone to Narva and interviewed some people and asked them, well, hey, what did you buy? They, you know, they're buying all kinds of stuff, sports, shoes, uh, potato chips, sunflower oil, chocolate bars, uh, eggs, because uh, it's, of course, for the residents of Narva, it's easy to cross the border because a lot of them are, I believe over 90% of them are Russian speakers and a lot of them are holders of this gray passport which is kind of a kind of a remnant from the Soviet Union time so they can freely cross the border uh, to uh, Russia Russia and back but I but I think it makes this story so interesting because Estonia has had such a hard line uh, against Russia ever since the Ukraine war started and you know they I believe they were the first country in, in the EU to introduce a blank, a co- complete ban uh, on Russian tourists entering the country. So still, you know, with that in mind, they still, you know, this cross-border cooperation still continues. I just think it's uh, rather interesting. Uh, Petri, just uh, in, in the interest of, of time, uh, well, two stories. Maybe th- there's a branding story, which you said uh, has maybe gone a little bit off track uh, in uh, in the town of Espoo, which is, well, or, or let's say city, but it's, it's a suburb of, uh, of course, uh, of, of Helsinki uh, to, to, to the west. Uh, what, what's happened there? Yeah, so this, uh, the... Uh, the city theater of Espo has rebranded itself and changed its name to, uh, this is actually true, this is not a joke, so the uh, and sign, so the ampersand uh, sign. And of course, the, the background here is that in Finnish, the ampersand uh, uh, so, uh, sign is pronounced et, so E-T, which is the former name, sort of the Espo Teatteri. So it's kind of a play on play on words, but they also say that this is supposed to indicate how uh, the Espo City Theater is now more uh, inclusive and versatile because they have this and sign as their as their new name but it's just gone awfully wrong i mean it's become it was unveiled on friday and it's become a butt of uh, jokes <laughs> soon 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 after you know with all like i've seen these memes of hey are you gonna now have uh, et as your first uh, sort of movie that you show but i mean i mean i mean tyler you're a branding professional but i mean what's wrong with espo city theater how is that not inclusive <laughs> why did you have why did they have to change that no, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've not been to Espo Theatre. I'm looking around. I'm not sure if we have any Finns in the audience this morning, um, but I, or I don't think we have any. And oh, okay, we don't have any season ticket holders. Maybe uh, though for the for the Espo Theatre, Emma, or are you 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 want you want a season's pass? Recently, I've been to Espo. Well, about six months ago, but I don't think that the theatre is on the top of the list. It no. might be now. Okay. 
just before we go, you've got a Finnair story. Well, two, there's two Finnair stories, I guess, in the paper this morning. Uh, uh, Topi Mano, the, the CEO uh, of, of Finnair, uh, is, is stepping down uh, after, yeah, uh, I think probably quite a solid reign. And, and certainly it's been a, not a, an easy ride to be running uh, Finnair when, uh, of course, Russian aerospace has been closed and your whole business program has been built or your business plan is built around flying over Russia to Asia. But there's another story that you've got for us as well. Yeah, so fin- Finnair has also introduced uh, uh, new sneakers for their flight attendants. Of course, Finnair was, I think, among the first uh, uh, airlines in the world to uh, introduce a more lenient sneaker policy. I think it was uh, a year ago, maybe two years ago. But now they actually have their own sp- uh, specially designed signature sneakers by the Finnish heritage brand Karhu uh, that they uh, introduced to their uh, cabin crew, all all black design. Um, and I suppose it's just uh, in a world where, uh, you know, cabin person Else, uh, dress code is still quite uh, quite strict in many with many airlines. I think this is just the latest move by Finnair to to kind of show how progressive it is is um, as an as an airline that it lets its staff uh, wear uh, more relaxed clothing. Okay, this you could open up a whole one hour discussion on this topic right now. Juliet has made an effort. She's doing radio. Okay, we are filming this today as well. She's she's wearing gold heels. Yes, uh, and and Emma's are silver. But I, I just want to say, Petri, you know, I, when I think about you know the great the great thing about Finnair is that there's also this side to the airline which is so formal. They still wear the the navy gloves uh, as well. So there's a wonderful formality to the airline. Great, they're supporting a local sneaker brand. But how how is this news going down? Or the, the Finns just rolling over and taking it? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I think most things are kind of ambivalent to 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 this uh, to to all of this. Um, I, I mean, I haven't seen any strong reactions to either for for or against. But I mean, personally, I mean, I I, I quite enjoyed the formal dress code. And I mean, I, I just don't think black sneakers. Uh, I'm not a fashion expert, but I just don't think the black sneakers go that well with the uh, you know very formal uh, dresses and, and 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 uniforms. But that's just my personal and also opinion. Also, the boots as well. When when it's not even the winter season. I mean. It's it's coming soon to Finland as well. The knee-high boots uh, is, and that's just for the boys, right? <laughs> exactly. So that, that's the other thing. I don't, I don't know. I think it's it's it is it's an it's an unfortunate. But I guess listen, like like many airlines, uh, there's a recruiting crisis. So I guess you know, yes, you know, sneakers, international symbol. This is the job that I want to take, obviously. Tyler, one of the most memorable times I've ever spent with you is when I had to wear a pair of high-heeled shoes, and you had to just help, once, just once, and you had to help me around a room because they were so uncomfortable. You were helping me down curbs, up slopes, downstairs. You were—it was like you were taking your lovely 105-year-old grandma around a room. I'm firmly on the side of comfort. But I believe we were in Senegal. We were as, as well. So. so. <laughs> Could we just say we're also in Dakar, ladies and gentlemen, so where the public infrastructure, uh, it, it does require that you had a chaperone. The, the shoe infrastructure was so terrifying that I needed a grown-up to help me around a room. Yeah. In, in that context, I am firmly on the side of a clean white sneaker. Okay. Florian, you have to pitch in on this, obviously. Yeah, and it's just gonna. I remember a conversation we had on this radio uh, probably a, a year or two ago when, again, Credit Suisse, they issued a new policy that their um, client-facing staff didn't have to wear shirts and ties anymore, right? They, they could come in T-shirts. That lasted about 10 days, I think, that mm. policy. 
Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Petri, stay across the story for us uh, in in Finland. Uh, let us let us know how this uh, develops and and evolves, uh, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll see you in the coming weeks. Uh, that was our Petri Rostov in uh, Helsinki uh, for us uh, this morning. Uh, we're heading to Copenhagen in a moment uh, with a bit of a book theme, but I'm just going to do a quick spin around the table, Juliet. Uh, Can we look at the New York you, Times? You, you, you run one of the biggest uh, book clubs uh, down your end of the lake. Uh, what's, what's the book club reading right now? Well, no, I just finished reading. Elif Shafak, the, the Island of Missing Trees, and I really love that. Emma, you're nodding. Have you read that? Big fan of Elif Shafak. Big fan, and it's set in Cyprus, and Florian's just got back from Cyprus. And he, he you said that is present. a land of missing trees, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and yes. also miss, missing funds as well. Yeah, missing many things. <laughs> <laughs> But I did want to bring up the New York Times, the New York Times article about the upcoming Vogue cover story on the supermodels who have come back yes. in their 50s plus. And Emma and I chatted a bit about it and how we're a little disappointed to see them um, not really looking their age. Not in, not in, in, yeah, a, in an airbrush. You mean in an enhanced way. Emma, way. There was um, four of the faces are instantly recognizable. One you double take a slight double take. Right. Thing. It's a generically well looked after person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And uh, now, so of course, great moment to you know to to go and sell a September October issue. I forget, but also there's a lot of hype then because there's there's a Netflix series exactly coming up uh, around Apple the, or is, is it Apple? Yes, I think so. I just remember opening the original cover years and years and years ago when they had the supers and the super, and it was one of those moments that totally changed the way you just looked at fashion completely. And okay, it's a bit contrived, but it was really nice to see something classic and stylish and elegant on the front cover of a, of a glossy magazine. This time round, you mean? Yeah, exactly. This time round. But we could have seen them looking a bit more natural. Maybe. Uh, heading to uh, Copenhagen, just north of Copenhagen, uh, to uh, the very uh, lovely uh, leafy suburbs of, of Hellerup uh, to speak to Isabella Smith, uh, owner and founder of Books and Company. Isabella, we haven't spoken for ages and sorry for coming to you uh, so late, not just in the program schedule, but also in today's program as well. Uh, how's the summer been? Summer has been great. It's also been very interesting to follow the last part of this conversation. I think I need a trip to Finland. And as someone in her 50s plus, I'm happy to hear about the new supermodels uh, coming back. So uh, it's been very fun. The summer has been great here. Um, I mean, the weather hasn't been that wonderful, but we are back from our summer holidays here in the north. I know you and many parts of Europe are still off. Um, and summer is sort of a different time for us. A lot of our locals are away, but then they're replaced by tourists, both from abroad, but also within the country. And we do love people who seek out bookshops wherever they travel. So it's fun to see their reaction to sort of an English language international bookshop in Denmark. And we get to chat about all things Copenhagen, share tips for places to go uh, and uh, places to eat. Um, we've had a lot of success with our, we've done like a staff recommendation and actually one of our staff loved also the Island of Missing Trees. And that was one of our staff recommendations for the summer. Um, but we really start recommending summer books in May and then we just keep going until September. Um, and one of the fun things about August and this post summer is actually that our customers get to come back and tell us what they think about the summer reads we've recommended. And especially like on a Saturday like yesterday, where we have lots of people in town for the Louisiana Literature Festival, they'll come in and trade uh, reading tips with each other. So that's fun. But probably the book that's uh, seen most sales this summer is The Covenant of Water by the Indian-American author and physician Abraham Verghese. He wrote uh, Cutting for Stone. I don't know if anybody read that, but it's an incredible book. It's I think it came out about 10 years ago. 
set in Ethiopia. And this is a 700-page tome that honestly simply reads itself. It's a multi-generational story. It takes place in the southern region of India and in Kerala and traces the story of a family from the 1900 to 1970-ish. It's a great story of a family that seems at times cursed and also the fascinating history of a vast country. Um, the writing is incredible and the book has been described beautifully in, in a review, I can't really remember where, but it's as an agreement with language and I just can't recommend it enough. Isabel, let me just ask you if, if, um, if, if someone walks in this afternoon uh, or, or Monday from, they get off their flight from Chicago and, and they walk in and they, and they want to be immersed in the Danish contemporary literature experience, uh, where, where, where would you push them uh, in the shop? And, and, and again, coming back to, I'm sure there's lots of books in Danish right now, uh, which are flying off the shelves, but, but a Danish uh, title in English. I mean, I think that, um, unfortunately, actually, not many Danish books are translated to English. Uh, we're working on that. We're trying to push that some more. Um, I would say one of the books that I would always recommend to anyone wanting to know, get to know Denmark is Tove Didlewsen's The Copenhagen Trilogy. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's written years ago, but it takes place in Copenhagen. It has such a great uh, feel for Danish culture, uh, for Copenhagen, for contemporary culture. And um, I, would, I would definitely recommend her to anyone. You can read it separately or you can read it as the trilogy. And actually, the New York Times chose that as their uh, book of the year, I think, in 2021, um, out of all the books, not just Scandinavian books. Um, so I would re definitely recommend that. You've already forced our, our colleagues around the table to, 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 to uh, fire up their screens online. I'm not sure if they're going to your site to buy it. I mean, don't get off Amazon. Stop trying to buy it off of Amazon. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, we, we've got about 45 seconds left. Either you give us three books very quickly, or I want to know if I was going to buy a cookbook in Denmark. And I, I, we, we could also, cookbooks, easy to translate-ish. Uh, what, what should we be picking up? I would do uh, Trine Henneman's Scandinavian Green. It's a uh, Scandinavian fair, but it's green. So it's, uh, yeah, that I would, that's a fantastic book. She's an incredible uh, cookbook author. I would definitely go with her. Uh, and just uh, finally, uh, but before we go, uh, book sales and just book business, uh, buoyant. Uh, we, it's probably been, uh, we yeah. spoke, of course, once or twice during the pandemic, uh, but uh, there's, there's always a life and vibrancy, of course, to your shop. I mean, I think book sales are going, for me, knock on wood, things are going really well. I think that, again, if you curate a bookshop and you create a community uh, create well, then people will come and buy books because people want what, the, what comes with the physical book, for sure. That's not going anywhere. Isabella Smith, uh, owner and founder of Books and Company, uh, just uh, north of Copenhagen and Hellerup. And it's one of these shops. Uh, it's it's sort of like Daunt mini version. Uh, absolutely out outstanding, but almost easier to navigate. And, yes, and you get that sort of, I mean, Daunt is great at personal contact, uh, but uh, they, they do an outstanding job. One of those places that feels like an event when you walk into it. Indeed. Are, Julie, do you ever have thoughts about wanting to take over and, and setting up, you know, maybe a little bookshop down the hill from where you are as well? I actually do have those kinds of See, I of could thoughts. tell, you right? See, you could tell. There was a sparkle in my eye and with, with nice comfy sofas and armchairs. But it's, I was just thinking how hard it is it like to find... That sounds like your living room. Sounds like my living room. I could do it in my house. You could. No, but how hard is it to find the stuff? 
stuff, though. That's not easy to have, find people who can answer any question about most books and give such good advice. That's that's priceless. That's why uh, Isabel does a, does a good job. And so we're all moving to Copenhagen, Isabel. Yeah, or, or some of us are moving to Bavaria as well. Indeed, so I might open up a bookshop in Munich. <laughs> oh, you can scout some locations, right? Yeah, now. well, I'll, I'll, try to keep, I'll try to keep my uh, <laughs> locations. And Manelson, you're around a little bit longer for us? I am. I'm here uh, making radio until about three o'clock this afternoon on a sunny day in Zurich. Very good. Well, you're going to be back with us next Sunday. That's all the time we have for today's program. Juliet Lindley, Florian Egley, of course, Emma Nelson's going to be around. Tom Edwards back in London, Petri Burstoff up in Helsinki, uh, and Isabella Smith at her bookshop in Hellerup, uh, of course, in Denmark. Our producers today, Desiree Bandley and Emma Nelson, our studio manager in Zurich was also Desi. And back in London, uh, we had Christy O'Grady looking after the audio for us. News is coming up uh, at the top of the hour. I'm Tyler Berlay. I'm back with Emma Nelson. Same place next week. Have a good week.